Welcome to uh, Love, Babs, Love Talk. It's Monday. Oh, my God. The time is flying by. I don't even know what to do. It's already Halloween. I'm just not ready. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I just, oh, boy. I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. So, welcome to uh to me this morning. I slept so well last night. I've been watching, uh, I'll get into what I did this weekend in a minute, but uh, I started watching, watching the House of Usher. <laughs> I, I really like this thing. <laughs> it's just so, people will sell their souls for all kinds of stuff. And then when it's time to pay up, they're shocked. Oh, it's just, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. But uh, I like it. I just like I like the modernness of it. You know, it's the it's the Edgar Allan Poe short story, The House of Usher, uh, and they've given it a modern twist, uh, and it works. You know, and it's just the kind of thing you want to watch. For me, because I don't I don't like scary things. Like I don't like scary things, but I don't mind this kind of, you know spookiness kind of thing you know it's not you know it's the grim reaper kind of <laughs> you know you make you make these choices with the devil before you know what your life is going to be like and then when your life it's just one thing after another so anyway it's good i'm i'm four episodes it's eight episodes i'm four in uh and i went to bed early last night so that's got to tell you something i was like okay Okay, I had I ate. Uh, I was up. I worked on some stuff. <sighs> excuse me, excuse me. It's morning. Lord have mercy. So yeah, that that was the that was my life. Oh my God, did you enjoy this weekend? I did. The weather was unbelievable. We had summer on Saturday, summer on Friday. So I'll tell you what I was into. So you know. The weekend started on Thursday. Uh, I had Bruce Cohen on, who is the, who is the uh, one of the producers of uh, Rustin, um, Bayard Rustin story. And it hits theaters November 3rd, and then it'll be on Netflix November 17th. But Netflix sent me a, 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 early, a screening of it, and I watched it like some ridiculous god-awful hour in the middle of the night, but it was good. I watched it. Um, so anyway, Friday, uh, Friday, Friday, uh, we went to, uh, the, uh, Melton McAvey Center for, uh, equity and social justice at Gateway. 
and it was a whole kind of workshop thing. And uh, at first I was annoyed because I was like, it was eight o'clock in the damn morning. I was like, my brain is not going to be working for this. But as I got into it, it was quite, um, uh, it was it was profoundly good, you know, talking about equity and social justice, but in a game format where you don't get to pick your outcomes. You The outcomes are a roll of the dice. And then you build a story around whatever your outcomes is based on some criteria that they that they give you that's predetermined that you choose based on the roll of the dice and uh it was really really it was really really good so i was there till about noon because i couldn't stay the whole day so ife and i were over there um she had to leave because she had to go to an internment um at 11. but we spent a good enough time there so it was good Nice room over there in Gateway. It was great. And, uh, you know, the Melton McAvey is Gail and um, Ruby's uh, uh, commitment um, to legacy, equity, and social justice. This is a legacy. So I was proud to go and support them because, you know, they're my friends and I love them. And and they're always thinking about doing good. So, so I went and I'm glad I did. Although I must say, Gateway, Y'all, y'all have a whole culinary program and you do not consider any other dietary constraints other than the status quo. I couldn't eat anything at the luncheon. The salad had so much balls of mozzarella. I couldn't even mess around with it. And after everybody put the tongs on the mozzarella and into the salad, there was no hope for me. So there was no salad without all that damn mozzarella balls on top. That's number one. Number two, everything had the roasted vegetables talking about, oh, it has a hint of butter. Well, a hint of butter will kill me. So no. So I couldn't even have that. And then, you know, they had some kind of chicken masala thing. So I I, I, I had a piece of that. That was it. There was nothing else I could eat. I didn't know. I couldn't tr- trust the bread. The breakfast was, I couldn't trust the breakfast, even though they had bagels. I just couldn't trust anything. And I so all I had was coffee and a piece of chicken. I don't know how do you have a whole culinary program and you don't consider other dietary restrictions. And I know there were people, other people in that room who had concerns or who were like I was like, you know, just couldn't have dairy or for whatever reasons not eating dairy. So that was my wild complaint. So, and I stayed long enough so I could have lunch, but I ended up going, leaving because I couldn't eat anything and I had to be somewhere else. So I had to go somewhere else and get some lunch because that little piece of chicken was just not hitting. <sighs> anyway, but the day itself, <laughs> the day itself was good. So, and then Friday night, I went over to see uh uh, FNA at the uh, Yale, the, D- the David Geffen School of Drama at Yale. This is a Suzanne Laurie Parks play. And so you already know what you're in for. <laughs> Dystopian, abysmal, I don't know, human condition. Oh my God. I, 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 I Listen, this is what theater is for. Theater is, is for you to go see something it doesn't matter if you love it or hate it. 
It is for you to wrestle with the themes, the tones, the undercurrents, and what you saw. And man, did I wrestle. I came away understanding that I did not enjoy this. But I enjoyed it because that's what theater is for. Do you know what I mean? Like everything is not going to be everything that I'm just going to absolutely be wild and love. That's not what theater is for. Theater is not to bring you everything that you love. Theater sometimes has to bring you stuff that you hate or that you dislike because you got to get in there and wrestle with, well, what part that you like? What part didn't you like? What was it that you didn't like about that? You know? And for me, it just played to too many stereotypes around race and, um, and uh, 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 culture. And I mean, I, I just, I just didn't like it. It felt like, you know what it felt like? It felt like Native Son gone awry. <laughs> it felt like Native Son gone awry. It felt like Suzanne Laurie Parks' take on a Native Son. I, I hated Native Son. So I don't know. So if I hate Native Son and this feels like Native Son, I think I might hate this. And it's supposed to be a take, some kind of interpretation on um uh, uh you know uh, the scarlet letter which I, I it was very little of that to me it didn't feel like a take on the scarlet letter it felt like an afterthought it felt like native son to me i don't know but you know suzanne laurie parks is one of our uh, you know illuminous playwrights that's working in america today and uh, she was she when she first came to New York, she was a client of Terry Williams. That's how I got to know her, you know, damn near thirty years ago, or whatever, how many years ago it was, maybe maybe more than that. And uh, uh, and so she, I think she was a client for a hot minute, and uh, she came to New York. She was getting her bearings in New York. Slip of a woman, little slip of a woman, uh, lovely to talk to. So anyway, so so that's what I did. Uh, uh, that's what I did I think that was Friday night Friday night then Saturday Saturday I hung out on the porch all day from like 11 to when we had to go down to uh, the Yale Humanities for the screening of the film resting under the uh, Schwartzman Center's uh, the a commitment to bringing interesting and compelling art to uh, Yale and to New Haven. So, uh, so I sat on the porch all day because it was eighty degrees, eighty. And then Ife came over about one ish, two ish, and then uh, we grabbed lunch at. Uh, she ran over to uh, Beyond the Salt food truck over at the Bricks, which is that new collaboration that uh, uh, Karima Minkins has uh is uh creating uh, a space over there and beyond the salt truck is parked there as a resident food truck and the space is for rent for events so uh it's a gorgeous space um alicia turned us all onto it because she had her birthday celebration there and uh and we discovered it and uh, Karima discovered it and then um, got into it. So uh, anyway, uh, so that's what we did Saturday. So we went to see 
the screening screening of Bayard Rustin, and uh, and then we stayed for the talk with Bruce Cohen and uh, the woman who did the costumes uh, for it, who was uh, interesting sister. So that was good. It was a room. They had a room full of two rooms full of people. The actual screening room and then the spillover. So it was a good, it was a nice crowd of people. They were very engaged. The film was amazing. I tell you what, it was good to see it a second time because I, I saw it so much better on the big screen than when I was watching it in my room. Now, don't get me wrong, I love watching it in my room. But I get I got to see how expansive it was when you see it on the big screen. And I think that's probably why movies are so good. Or at least if I had a bigger space and I could have a projector or something, I could put it on the wall or something, but... But I, you know, I can't do that. Anyway, so that was uh, that was Saturday night, and you know, so it's a, it's a not a terribly long film, but it's long, uh, and then you have a Q and A. So you know, it was late by the time we got home, and then yesterday was just a chill kind of day. Sunday was chill. It rained. Fall came back. It had to be like fifty degrees yesterday, and it rained all, all day. It rained all day. It rained all day. Uh, I met up with my writing group, which was nice because we do a virtual thing. So that was nice. So we had good conversation. We did a lot of writing, but, you know, and we don't, we tend not to spend a whole lot of time talking, talking, but this time we did. We had a lot to talk about because, you know, my girlfriend is Jewish and uh, and she is working on behalf of the Jewish people. And uh, she's so against Palestine and what is happening. I mean, I'm sorry. She's so against the bombing of Palestine and the way the Palestinians um, have been treated are, and are being treated. So uh, so she is on that side of history. Uh, and that's why she's my friend. So, uh, so that was good. And then uh, I just spent the day working on some law school application stuff, which, which is quite daunting. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm just trying to, just trying to, trying to put myself in a position to apply to law schools. So that was my weekend. It was a good weekend. I, what can I, you know, we, we can't, I can't, uh, I can't complain. I cannot complain. You know, I cannot complain. So, uh, and I think Wednesday, Wednesday I hosted the me help, help, uh, Facilitate the moderate the mayoral debate with Tom Breen and uh, um, uh, uh, Lavos. Uh, oh gosh, what is her name? I can't. Well, I don't know why I can't remember. And I see her as clear as day. And uh, um, so we we did that, and so that was Wednesday. So really, my weekend started Wednesday. And uh, Norma Rodriguez. So it was Norma. Uh, and me and Tom Breen Wednesday uh, moderating. I tell you, I thought I thought uh, the woman that they always call Crazy Wendy was the better of the three candidates in the debate. Now, would I want her to be mayor? Hell no. But she, in the debates, she was the better of the three. That's all, you know. And uh, and and I thought uh, I thought uh, what's his name? Tom Goldberg. You know, held his own. I, I mean, you know, I think he, I think Tom Goldberg has reached his stride too late because he finally found some issue that seemed to resonate with people, but he got to it too late. I mean, I think he's absolutely right in terms of, you know, thinking about uh, 
black people and 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 all of that. But you know, he's late to the party with that. And and I I just don't believe him. So there you go. And you know, and the mayor, well, y'all already know how I feel about him. Uh, but you know, he held his own too. And I I will say this: they were very respected to respected, respectful of Wendy. They both were gentlemen and uh, respectful to her, even though she was trashing them, uh, and not terribly so. But you know, she you know she's known for that kind of thing. But they they treated her with such care on stage, which which is which is which is what I would expect, you know. But to see it was really. Uh, you know, Elliker was very, very kind to her, and so was Tom Goldberg. They were very, and you know, uh, they she was very kind to he was. They were very kind to her. So anyway, so so that's where we are. So uh, I'm looking at the uh, headlines of the New Haven Independent, and I'll get over to the inner city in a minute. Uh, but I guess the city tells tiny home builders to cease and desist. So I'm not. I don't understand any of this foolishness. So these people, Suki and Todd uh, Godic or Gothic, um, they bought a house. Uh, they show these people uh, uh, that they're the people that moved into these little tiny home in 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 uh, in uh, the hill. So these people, uh, these people built a little. Tiny home village in their backyard. Uh, so because they were, uh, he's he's the city plan. De- uh, the letter sent by the city plan department. So Mark Coville and his wife, activist partner Luz Caterinu, uh, 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 Caterinu, uh, 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 they built these little tiny houses in their backyard. 200, 203 Rosette Street. And uh and so the city got wind of it and uh sent them a letter threatening them, you know, tear it down. But you know, these people are real activists because they got tired. you know, the city <laughs> the city tears down the tents that the homeless people build. And so these people got sick of it and just said, listen, we, we could put some safe housing in our backyard. And clean, clean, safe. We'll monitor. We'll keep it up just to get some people off the street. And they did that. And the buildings are nice. They're well done. <laughs> but the city, for whatever reason, and I listen, I'm not one of these people who doesn't understand the rules. I get it. But I think if we had a mayor with some leadership that had an administration that would take the cues from his leadership, he would go to these people and say, all right, I see that you did this thing. Let's figure out a way to keep this up. Um, um, because I guess the thought is they don't want people doing this. But I, I don't know what you want people to do. You want people to keep driving by and seeing homeless people on the streets, in tents, under bridges, and, and they want to help. And, and this is a way to help. But you don't want them to do it because there's rules. And I get it. And I understand you don't want people just all willy-nilly building structures that might be unsafe, that could be a hazard, that could endanger people. But I, I personally, 
I think people living under a bridge is more dangerous than people living in a tiny house in somebody's backyard. But I don't know. I'm not the mayor. I'm just playing one on the radio. I would I would have liked a mayor who would have walked up to them, went to their house, sat down with a cup of coffee or some tea on the front porch and said, all right, let's 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 think about this. How could we do this? You know, I see that you did it. I'm going to try to protect it. I mean, he can protect it. Not try. I can protect it. And and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set up a situation where we're going to monitor this thing while it's up. And then we're going to figure out a way how we could we can um, do this. That if people want to do this, there's a way that they can do it with some regulations and all this other kind of stuff in place. But not to make it a hardship or to break people's pocketbooks. See, that's the kind of mayor I would want. One who's resolution driven, not one who's going to just come down like a like a damn tyrant and just like, no, we can't do that. But you have people on the street who are homeless, who work jobs, who are homeless, and we do not have enough housing. I just feel like when you're the leader, you've got to come and say, let me figure out how to lead in this moment because this is an impossible situation. Because it's easy to sort of say, damn them, let's tear it all down. No, let's figure out a way how we could, how we could keep this and then think about this as a project-based trial for other people who might want to do this or look at other plots of land that the city owns or that other people could donate or want to see or could use. I think that's the best use of intellectual capital. Figure out how to work toward the solution. This administration is not solution-driven. What they are is, you know, all oh, well's the rules. Well, listen, Rules are made to be broken. Swear to God. This is why we have seatbelts in cars. Remember, I grew up in a time there were no seatbelts in cars. You just put kids in the backseat like it was a couch and you keep it moving. In a steel trap vehicle. Then we made rules saying, you know what, for the safety of children and, and adults and people so they don't get harmed when they get when they have a crash. Let's put some seatbelts in that joker. Guess what else? What else got what else got handled? Kids didn't come home in car seats. Kids came home from hospitals in their mother's arms sitting in the front damn seat. Or maybe a bassinet on the back seat. But what happened? We worked toward a solution because we didn't want to see people harmed. We could work towards... Why aren't we working towards solutions? Why? Why? All this intellectual capital we are surrounded by... We're surrounded by four or five universities. And you mean to tell me we can't come up with a credible solution, a concrete solution to solve homelessness in a city that has less than 200,000 people? You've got to be kidding me. This could be a training ground for what the nation could do. But what does our mayor do? Petty. Petty. I just, I just you know, that's why I... The unimagination of things, the unimagination. Here's an opportunity to do something. Here's an opportunity to do something. And if he would empower the city plan department to go there to these people and say, let me look at what you got up and let's figure out a way to make sure that it's safe, it's sound, 
Nobody will be killed in it. They won't catch on fire. All the things that we need. You know, even if we have to say, if we have to designate the backyard as a campground or whatever it is for a trial, for purpose of a trial period, because winter is coming and the money that we're going to spend on tricking out some damn school to house poor, you know, the homeless is going to, it's not going to be ready in December. So in the meantime, the city has to acknowledge we don't have enough housing for the homeless people. And you and stop thinking homeless people are stupid. When they go to these homeless shelters, sometimes they are at they they are vulnerable and and are preyed upon. So that's another issue. The other issue is there are some homeless people who don't want to be in a group situation like that. Like it's better for them to be on their own somewhere. And and they're not crazy to want that. We all want that. <laughs> we want to have some say over our agency of how we move around the community. Homeless people want the same thing. They want to be able to move about without fear and without harm. So I don't understand and please, I, listen, I served on the Board of Alders. I understand the damn red tape of zoning and all that foolishness because zoning, as you know, was set up to just keep Black folks out of stuff. That's really what's... And then they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have to build some other stuff. Oh, by the way, we'll 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 work on other stuff. But zoning really was designed to keep, to keep neighborhoods Black and some neighborhoods white and never the two shall meet. I, I wish that this mayor had some sense of I don't know creativity. He has none. He's not creative. He's not interesting. He's not forward thinking. You know, he's just mediocre. And when you're a mediocre, you do mediocre things. And so rather than pull together the, the city plan department and who and who are and the public health people and get around the table and invite these people instead of telling them no telling say to them how can we support this because this could be a good idea and this could answer somewhat of our prayers not all of them but some of them and if we could monitor monitor this like a project you know like a project we monitor it you know, and, and everybody agree to how we monitor this thing, um, then you could keep keep it in your backyard. You could house some people. This is a, a group of people that we don't have to concern ourselves with over the winter. We'll come back and we'll revisit this concept, but we will let it stand for now. And we'll put in all this, the, the measures it needs to monitor and provide oversight, you know, and we'll treat it like a project. You know, we'll treat it like a, a, a conceptualized project, um, and and then and then say to the city, you know, we might invite people to do this, but right now we're just going to watch how this goes, and uh, and and we'll keep our eyes on it because we want those people to be safe and the community in which it is sitting to be safe. I don't know why can't that happen. Why do you look at that and just get outraged and say, it's got to come down? 
why? Why are we empowering city plan to, to, to be inspired by this? Why are we like this? Why? Why aren't we saying this is inspiring and we want people to do this, but let us let us pay attention to it as a project and we'll put in some guidelines and some structure. So if somebody else wants to do this or if there's a plot of land that we could do this further in, in neighborhoods, maybe we could solve this problem and be a model to the nation. Or maybe there's some other cities that are already doing this that we could go see and talk to them and ask them what have been the pros and the cons. What has been good about this? What have you learned about this? If you had to do it again, how would you do this? Why are we having those imaginative, inspiring kinds of conversations? But no, what we're saying is, damn them people, tear it down and put those people back under bridges and cardboard boxes and alleyways and, and all the places where homeless people try to find a modicum of humanity. Why? This is why I get annoyed with the level of mediocrity that comes out of city. I don't, listen, listen, listen. This is not. This is this is personal. It's personal because I'm a citizen of this city, and I hate knowing that people are homeless. Just like I hate knowing people are hungry. See, this is a good use of hatred. You know what a good use of hatred is? That people are homeless and hungry. That's a good use of hate. And I, I think I'm using it correctly. I hate knowing that there are people are homeless. And we act as though we don't see them. They're everywhere. They're on the street corners. They're under bridges. They're at the exits of highways. They're downtown. And everybody thinks it's somebody else's problem. Guess what? No. We are the somebody else. <laughs> we all have a responsibility. And please, let me tell you something. If I go out in the street right now and poll people how many people believe in God or higher power or some kind of spirituality, nonsense, mumble, jumble, crap, whatever. You know, people think they're better than they are, kind of mess, you know, and they care about humanity. Every last one of them would say, oh, I, I care about my, my neighbor and my fellow man and blah, blah, blah. And yet, <laughs> none of that is reflected in what we do in this city. <laughs> all these Christians, all these Muslims, all these whatever, whoever, Hare Krishnas and Buddhists and whatever the hell you are, Rasta pastas and all the, <laughs> all the pastafarians, all, all of it, just, all, just throw it all out there. And yet this city still has a social ills. And I don't say that to say that I, I nobody is doing anything. There are people who are extending themselves. There are churches and mosques and synagogues that are extending themselves to the breaking point. Lots and lots and lots of them. But that ain't everybody. And I would invite people. And there's comments comments up at the uh, at the uh, at the New Haven Independent site. There's 29 comments. But you know what? It should be it should be like 500 comments. Because I know City Hall, somebody's reading this stuff. And, and I know somebody's listening to me because I know some of them tune in because they tell me. So if they hear me this morning, go and slip a note under the door to the mayor. So, you know, you really should listen to Babs this morning. You know, she's not she's not doing the usual, 
the mayor is mediocre. I mean, I am, and he is. What I'm saying is that this is a, a yet again another opportunity. <laughs> another opportunity because he missed the opportunity is you know if i was the mayor and 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 i'm not i just played one on the radio you know he had opportunity to go down to the homeless camps to the camps instead of bulldozing them over go down there and hear these folks go bring some lunch and go and sit with them and say all right what's happening everybody tell me their story why are you here what is it about this camp that makes you feel like this is community that's where you start. I would do that if I was the mayor. I'm not the mayor. I only play one on the radio. I would have started there. I wouldn't have sent bulldozers down there. I just, I just wouldn't have. I would have been like, let's come on, everybody who works in City Hall. Let's we shut the offices down for a half hour, hour. We're gonna go and we're gonna bring some food. We're gonna bring some services down there. We're gonna talk to these people and we're gonna find out what's happening. And they all probably been involved in somebody's system somewhere. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to hear what is the problem. And then we're going to figure out if they're going to be here in a camp, how can we make the camp clean, safe, and, 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 and habitable? How do we do that? That's imaginative. I need a mayor who has that kind of imagination. Not this, oh, we're just going to bulldoze it. And then where do they go? Then they're going to go and set up a camp somewhere else. They're going to set up a camp somewhere else. And I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm not so naive. To, I'm 60 years old. I'm not so naive to know, to think that a, a camp could last forever and ever. No, it can't because winter is coming, right? Winter is coming. So we, we got to do something different. But the summer, they're camping. And so... I wish the city would have said, okay, we're going to help come. We're going to clean up. We're going to monitor this area. We're going to make sure people are safe. We're going to make sure they're not harmed. We're going to make sure they've got a porta potty out here. We're going to make sure all the things until we figure out how to deal with this situation. You know, because when we bulldoze people's things, when we trash their encampments, when we throw out the things that they've collected, for survival. When we do those things, what we're saying is we have no humanity. We have no humanity. We have no, I, you know what I wish? I wish churches would have went and surrounded that camp and stood there and said, you know what, we'll take responsibility for, for, for cleaning this up and, 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 and making this place hospitable for these folks. But we, but we don't do that. We haven't done that. I, I'm just, I'm just, I just don't understand how we can't be creative about how we solve problems. And I feel this way. I've always felt this way my whole life. But since spending time with artists and the way artists look to solve problems, I think artists ought to be at every table, in every boardroom, in every school, talking about this is how we this is how we could work on this creatively. Bring some creativity to situations. That is what's missing. We 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 run the gamut on bureaucracy. God knows we will rule rule and regulation you to death in this town, in any town, in any city. But here's the thing: we can we can elect to change, tweak, disregard. <laughs> all kinds of things if we want to. If we have will, and by will, I mean political will, we could do whatever we want. We could say, you know what? 
we're no longer going to Friday parking is going to be parkings on the street at metered parking will be free on the weekend. We could we could say whatever we want. We could do whatever we want. As long as it benefits the populace, we could do whatever we want. I just wish we had an administration that was inspiring, that just could charge up the hill with the with the with the with the with the torch rather than the damn sword, right? With a flashlight rather than a sword. I, I want to see that kind of inspiration. Not this, well, we're just going to go and bulldoze. We're going to make those people tear it down. And then the news people go out there and they go, this is nice. <laughs> this this might make a good Airbnb. <laughs> people are like, they built this? This is nice. And it's not even fancy. And, and this is just, Ish, that makes me sick, sick, sick. Why do we want people to have less than what other people have? Why? <laughs> Why? And these are not even, look, when you look at the pictures, there's like little six tiny houses in a row with flowers in, in the, in, at the door and windows so sun could come in. I don't even know if they have little bathrooms in there. I don't even know. You go in and it's just like a bed and some storage shelving stuff so they can have their stuff and a and a fire extinguisher and 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 a little electricity and places to put their stuff. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Every religious tenant has some piece about take care of the least among us. Because when you take care of the least among us, you're doing God's work. And everybody will run their asses to churches and mosques and synagogues and wherever the hell they have a religious service. And everybody will put, dress up and they think they're serving God. And they'll go and tithe and sing the songs and say the prayers for the for the for the outcasted and the sick and the shut-in and the prison, but they don't take their asses nowhere near it. It's the work for other, oh, somebody else should do that. But but uh, tots and prayers, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> thoughts and prayers. I'm just, I, we should be throwing money at people like this to say, come up with some some homeless things, home, a homeless cons, to, to help homeless folks. Come up with some housing concepts that we could try. We got land where we could try homeless, and you know, we could try some homeless housing that I've seen them all over the country. We could listen, we got a whole school of architecture at one of the most prestigious universities in the whole wide world. And we're not asking them to come up with some plans for some housing for homeless people. We're not putting money toward doing that are you kidding me we could we could cure this homeless problem we could i i just don't believe that we i just don't i'm not gonna believe that we can't do it we have the tools why are we you we have intellectual capital everywhere you go listen every two feet there's a yaley <laughs> who knows 10 30 other yaleys we got a whole school of architecture what? We got Make Haven, who I'm sure can make 
New Haven amazing. All those, all that talent in there. Are you kidding me? We got a whole technical school in the next town. A whole technical school, a vocational technical school, a whole one. Who we could invite to work with the school of architecture to build some. Housing. Where would the money come? Oh, I don't know. Let's find some. Hey, Yale, you know what? Donate some money to this. Y'all got billions and billions of dollars. You could donate whatever it takes. These school architecture kids would build some stuff, design some stuff that would be low cost and affordable. Oh, we could just look around the world and see who's doing what. How much does that cost? We got containers. Okay, let's do some containers. Let's do some other stuff. Let's try. Let's be the city that tries. I just, I just, why are we like this? Why? And then, and then we want these people to just be out in the streets. We think that's a better deal. That's a better deal to have people under bridges. And listen, you know, there used to be a time where we could put a face on homelessness. Oh, you know, they're drug addicts and this and that, and that. But guess what it's not now? Guess what it is now? Whole families. Working people. Working people. Do you hear me? Working people that cannot afford the rents, that cannot afford housing. Working you know what working means? That they go to a job every single day and collect a paycheck. But they're trying to make it make it do what it do out of shelters. Families. I'm not making this up. Families. I, it's just, it's just, it's unconscionable to, unconscionable to me that we do not. And there are people out there that are working on this issue night and day who are losing sleep working on this issue, who are talking to anybody and everybody that listen. And these people said, listen, I got a I got a backyard that got some room. I could build some stuff. And I'm a I, sick, just six, six houses. So that's six people who, who ain't under somebody's bridge or in somebody's shelter that can put their things safely. And and from from what I can see from the pictures, uh it looks pretty clean. You know? looks pretty clean doesn't look trash doesn't look anything you know and uh it's a it's a couple who lives here in one of them and and they and they got bins so they got bins so they can put their food in so you know it's not out and open so animals are not coming in you know i mean they're trying to be somewhere trying to trying to exist and 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 why don't we want that for people why And he's like, oh, we'll just put them through a process. How long is that going to... So you want them to get out? Everybody get out until we go through this process. And you know it's just going to take forever and never and never. Because you could really do some stuff, you know. And I hope the Colvilles could, like, haul their asses in the court. Just haul them in the court. I swear to God, if I was an attorney, I would take this off for free. And just be like... I'd just be on this. <laughs> and I'm no attorney. I'm just playing one on the radio. But this is, the kind, this is the kind of stuff that need, this is the kind of freedom fighting that needs to happen. Because why little people can't win in these things is because they don't have the money and the and the time to to be going through the muck and mire of the legal system. 
So anyway, that's just how I'm feeling. I just feel, I just feel that we could be better. And there's so many opportunities for us to be better. You know, and there's a whole organization that does this. Palette, Palette is the is the the people that do this stuff, and they're a for profit company. <laughs> and 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 in the in the New Haven Independent article, uh, the tiny homes were sourced from Palette, a for profit company that has successfully sold the concept of homelessness mitigating prefab shelter villages to over 100 communities across the country since 2017, and which helped assemble all the Rosette Street structures over the course of this past Saturday morning. So 100 volunteers helped them over the past few months to complete construction efforts leading up to the erection of these six homes by leveling the ground and establishing foundations for the structures. So they, you know, they didn't just like, here's a pop-up, they actually took some time. And the people that make these things came and said, all right, let me show you how to do it. <laughs> you know, and they were like, we can't cease because we have a commitment to people and we were certainly never desist. And I'm with him, you know? And, they, and the city sends this harsh ass letter, threat, it's a threatening letter. You know, they're gonna stay. And, and unless they physically want to go over there and throw these people out, which I doubt they don't want those optics. I swear to God, they don't want them optics. <laughs> oh, they don't want that smoke. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I don't know who I'm voting for. My vote is still up in the air. I have a sense. But you know what I could do with my vote? Whatever I want with it. I could make a different choice. I'll tell you that. I tell you that I'll make a different choice. I don't gotta go what's on, I don't gotta go what's being served. I could I could put another option on the table. That's what I could do with my vote. Cause I could write whatever I want and go to bed at night feeling like, okay, I, I did what I wanted to do. I'm just saying. So, you know. So, you know. I I think I think the uh I think the I think the, the city plan people have got to sort of start thinking about, well, what would tiny communities look like in New Haven? I want to see that. Laura Brown, I want to see that executive director of city plan. I want you to work on that and, 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 and come back with some solutions, you know? And, you know, she's, she's, I mean, I don't know Laura Brown. She seems nice. She's a nice little letter. Dear Mr. Colville, I hope this message finds you well. We greatly appreciate your proactive approach in having Jacob Miller and colleagues meet with City of New Haven staff on Wednesday, October 18th, regarding the proposed pallet shelter development on Rosette Street. One key takeaway from our meeting is our shared concern for the health and well-being of the city's most vulnerable residents. It is this common goal that motivates us to ensure that all your endeavors align with both the city, state, and legal requirements, thus safeguarding the interests of the community and those you seek to serve. We have learned that the pilot shelters were currently installed this weekend without the same review for compliance 
with both the building code and the city zoning ordinance as other property owners must follow while building and adding new structures on their land. Considering this, we need your cooperation by removing what already has been built and to cease and desist any further building of shelters until you have a variance. See, this is where it gets all stupid. I think this is where it gets stupid. Because first of all, these are not regular housing structures as if they were building houses, right? So, and I and I think they put that in there because they don't really have uh, some zoning for small, tiny houses. They don't. Because I dare say if they did, the Covilles would have said, all right, we're going to tap into this. We're going to go here. But there's nothing there, right? So so that's the, all this foolishness is just verbiage, stupidness. So considering this, we need you your cooperation by removing. And if we don't, what are you going to do? You're going to come and bulldoze those too? You know, until you have a variance from the Board of Zoning Appeals. Okay, and, and and any needed relief from state building regulations. We are willing to work with you on identifying regulatory barriers. You don't even know what they are. You don't even know. I, I would have written a different letter if I had leadership at City Hall to say, okay, we don't have a tiny, tiny house policy, but we're going to use your model to help us craft a tiny house policy. That's what the hell should have happened here. We're going to use your tiny house commitment and we're going to craft legislation because the palette people been doing this. So they got some awareness on how to do this. So we're going to bring everybody to the table. Like we're going to, we need a policy now because this is happening. <laughs> right. Uh, and you know, we all know the bureaucracy of stuff. We just know. So. Miss me with this letter, Laura Brown, Executive Director, City Planning Department. Miss me with that letter. That's 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 just so carrying piss. That's all that is. That's just carrying piss. You just toting piss. You just toting piss. Because I would have written it. I would have inspired my people to write a different letter. But I, you know, I'm not the City Plan. I'm not the Executive Director of the City Planning Department. I'm just playing one on the radio. But if I was a city planner, I'd be like, you know what? All right, this is already up. What 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 what's our tiny house community policies, regulations? Do we have any? Okay, so here's an opportunity now because tiny communities are coming. They're coming. So let's create a, a policy so that we can be out in front of this, which we've already missed the opportunity to be out in front. So now we have to play catch up. So let's catch up to the rest of the world. That's that's my thinking. So anyway, I've got a, I've got a, some folks coming out in the next hour, which I'm very delighted by. So I've got, a, you know, y'all know Jenny Nelson, Collective Consciousness. They got a new play that they're uh, uh, pre, uh, uh, opening their new season with, Fairview by Jackie Sibley's Drury. And uh, so she's Jenny Nelson, Jamie uh, Geit, and uh, Kendall Driffin are going to come and talk about it. So uh I can't wait. And this is going to be directed by Jenny Nelson. So the next hour, I'm talking to uh, uh, the Collective Consciousness folks and the new play, Fairview, uh, that they're going to uh, be kicking off their season with. So I will be back with artists who I love. So I'll see y'all in the 1015. Stay tuned. <laughs> is that Al Green? <laughs> 
Hi, this is Babs Rawls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. Don't look so sad. When you leave me 
for the good time.
Good morning. Welcome to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I'm Babs Rolls Ivy. I'm delighted this morning because, you know, I've got the collective consciousness people in the house. Hey, Jenny Nelson. Is it Jamie Geit? Do we say Geit? Um, all y'all unmute yourself. And Kendall Driffin. Are you are you related to Steve Driffin? Yes, that's my dad. Oh, I know it, girl. I know it. <laughs> I just wonder. First question. Yeah. <laughs> Acting is all through that family, all through the family. Yes. Jenny <laughs> Nelson, it's nice to see you. Always good to see you and be here with you this morning to talk about yet another CCT production. So thanks for having us. Oh, of course. When I saw it, I was like, let me get in touch with them before they get all busy and don't have no time to talk about this. Play. So <laughs> Fairview, Fairview by Jackie Sibley's Drury is a 2019 Pulitzer Prize winning play. Yes, yes. Uh, it is a, it is, you know, we always say all of our plays are really special, spectacular in their own way, but this, this definitely fits in that category. This is a very unique play. And I think uh, we're really excited for New Haven audiences to see this really special play. And I actually had the privilege of seeing a production of it in 2019 um, at Theater for New Audiences. And without being too hyperbolic, it was one of the most transformative theatrical experiences of my life. And I immediately said, I really, I want to bring this to New Haven. And I, I want our community to experience um, what I was so fortunate to experience. So well, really excited. In the Pulitzer, I'm on the Pulitzer Prize page. And so they say, Fairview by Jackie Sibley's Jury, a hard-hitting drama that examines race in a highly conceptual, layered structure, ultimately bringing audiences into the actor's community to face deep-seated prejudices. Are we going to get dragged? What's happening? Are we getting dragged? What? <laughs> Kendall, Jamie, what do we think? Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> wait, somebody says yes. Somebody says no. Wait. Oh, <laughs> it's an think... emotional roller coaster. I I can say that, and I know even from the first read through, um, when we finished reading through the script, we just had to sit there in it. Um, so. Will you be dragged? I, I mean, that depends on what you bring to the show. Um, but you definitely will be changed by it. I can say that. Okay. I I, I accept that. Absolutely. Okay, Kendall. So uh, what's your interpretation? Oh, no, I totally agree. Everything what Jamie said, I, I've been telling people when, you know, when I'm approached with saying, what is this play about? It's kind of hard to put it into one word or let alone one sentence. Um, so I did, I've just been saying it's a play that you have to see more than once. I suggest mm. that um, because Jackie so brilliant, brilliantly touches on so many topics and it is a hard hitting play. That's a perfect word that the uh, Polarist page um, used to describe the play, um, that it's hard to really conceptualize what's happening. Um, so once you realize what happened, um, you're gonna wanna come back and see it again and gain new information or uh, realize new nuances about the play and just get a different perspective about it. Okay, Jenny, you're directing this. Did you, you so you saw the play, did you know you wanted to direct it, let alone bring it here, but you knew you wanted to be the one shepherding this play onto stage? I, I knew I wanted to bring this play, right, to New Haven. Um, and so immediately my partner, Dexter Singleton, and I, you know, always in collaboration, having those conversations about 
what we want to bring to our community. And he was completely on board with bringing this play. And we always discuss, you know, who is the right director for the show, right? Who is really going to bring this to life? And I think because this play really uh, is really leaning into um, really kind of that intersection of white culture and black culture and appropriation and colonization, like as, as Kendall was talking about so many different themes. Um, but I think because it's really dealing with so many different themes, it felt appropriate for me to direct. Whereas there are some plays that absolutely I, I should not be directing and we should be bringing in um, our artists of color right into the room. Um, and so this play felt like appropriate for me to direct. And I was thrilled because it's truly one of my favorite plays now and getting to engage with these actors to do this work, um, much like Passover that we did in 2019, mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm. this is changing me. I think it's changing us and the way we look at the world um, and confirming things we know, right? Um, and I, it's it's been a really exciting process. And this cast is spectacular. They're a spectacular cast. And we have two, you know, alums from Barbecue that we just saw. Oh! Kendall and Jamie were also at Barbecue. So we love to bring people back. And we also have new people, uh, which is which is a great mix in the room. I love it. I love it. So how big is this cast? Because I you sent me the the script and I'm like, this is this is a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting bigger Babs. we're right we're trying to go so barbecue had 10 um this cast has eight um okay. definitely it's a bigger cast for us in our very intimate space um but it it absolutely works in our space and i'm so excited for you to see the set design by our i'm gonna tell you something y'all probably have one of the baddest second to long wharf theater have one of the baddest set designs of any theater i've ever gone to because i was like Man, they make this space be all anything in the world. Then perhaps it happens like that. Right, Kendall? Yeah. Like overnight, it was barbecue really. in there. Yeah. And then overnight, it just became Fairview. It's re it's really amazing. Yeah, we're so fortunate. So Jamie, tell me about your 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 uh uh the person that you're playing and and how'd you prepare for it? Um, I play the role of Beverly. Um, she's a black matriarch and I feel like I'm bringing life lived experiences. Um, Kendall plays my daughter. I have a daughter of the same age. We're all dealing with what it means to be black in 2023. Um, and being able to bring that to this stage, being able to bring that to our conversations, to develop these characters, to really embody this show, um, has been shifting. Uh, I I I love Beverly as a character. She she's got her dreams. She's got her goals. She's trying to live up to some expectations, but she's also human, right? She's a mom. She's a wife. She's a daughter. She's a sister. She's working to make sure that things go the way that she feels that they should. Um, and I feel like we've all been in that moment, whether it's for a holiday or just lived experience where we're mm. trying to get to other people's expectations. So I holidays is so critical Yeah, for, oh. for black people. I mean, for everybody, yeah. holidays are challenging, joyous and challenging, dreading and <laughs> anticipatory, right? Like just no getting around it. So I'm already planning for Thanksgiving because I host. Um, and I think every year, my poor husband, I put him through it. Uh, and right before people come over, I say, I'm not doing this again. 
I will not. You've been saying it for 20 years. <laughs> yes. And this year you swear this is it. <laughs> no, no, we're doing it again. It's uh, I don't even know where other people would go. Well, yeah, because he's like, well, we can't go to Aunt So-and-so because she got cats. So we can't go over to, because you know what I mean? You know how we do, right? We just, we know. She's like, oh, we ain't going over to uh, Uncle Harry's house because he don't make no good potato salad. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> it will be here. And oh, I will be, be here. Potatoes and mac and cheese. And it will be good. <laughs> so, Kendall, tell me about your process for this. Oh, yeah. This process has been very interesting. It has definitely pushed me and pulled me as an actor. Um, I've been telling people this has been so far the most challenging piece that I've done. And that is in a good way. Um, as I mentioned before, Jackie is just a brilliant playwright. Um, and my character, Keisha Frazier, um, Jackie has tasked Keisha with this role, this challenging big role. Um, and it's, it's, it's really just, it's, it's humbling and I want to do it justice. I want to do the character justice and the playwright justice as well um, because what Keisha has to say is beyond important and it's something that everyone needs to hear. Um, so just making sure that I protect these words and protect this character and make it as authentic as possible and truthful as possible. Um, that's how I've been been focusing. Okay. All right, so Jenny, when you took this on to direct this, like, what did you start with? Like, how do you how do you direct a play that has so many layers to it, like this? And 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 you know, the at the the star of it is black white dynamics. Like, how do you mm -hmm. how do you maneuver those waters with with actors? And and how and then how do you keep people safe? <laughs> Ooh, that's a Fantastic question. I love to. I'll answer that one first because I at CCT, um, that is really the one of the most important value systems that we have is to make sure because this work is so charged, right? So emotionally charged, uh, can be physically charged. Uh, we know there's a lot of really courageous conversations happening in the room, and so we really lay, I hope, a groundwork with all of our actors and our team. Um, being incredibly specific and intentional about how we want to set the energy in the room and that people have um, places to go and people to talk to should anything arise in the room where they don't feel unsafe. Because the thing we can't promise is that we will always be safe. We really can't promise that. We're going to do everything to put those guardrails. But if somebody feels unsafe, they have a place to go. Their voice will be heard. And that's really important to Dexter and I. And so we, we're really trying to get better and better about establishing that safety in the room. And as we move through um, that, I try to come to this work humbled, as Kendall was putting it, you know, humbled by this play um, and in a place of humility um, that we're just kind of learning together. I often say as a director, I'm just kind of bearing witness. I'm kind of just here in the room to make sure everyone feels safe and everyone kind of gets where they need to be um, with their character. So I, I hope we have done a good job with that and kept everyone feeling um, that they can speak their mind and they can kind of find their own evolution in the room and feel safe to do so. Um, as far as approaching this work, this, as Kendall said, this has been one of the most challenging works for me too, as a director. Um, it just continues to give, even in our tech rehearsals, and we've been rehearsing now for such a long time, even yesterday, I reread the whole play before we came and watched it again. And I'm still finding things I didn't see 
which is really saying a lot about this play that there's just so many layers. I don't think we'll ever know, even at the end, every every layer and every moment. I think it'll just keep keep giving to us um, throughout and hopefully to our audiences. Um, and the last thing I'll just say is this play is funny. So oh, what thank is, God. Okay. <laughs> That's hard to do, right? One of the oh. things that playwright is so good at, and she, we did, we are proud to present. We also did that at CCT, which is another one of her plays. Um, she picks these incredibly difficult things to talk about. And then she puts comedy underneath them at times. And it, it just is this amazing feat to watch in her plays. And then the moment you think you're safe, she just pulls that rug out from you and you're rethinking everything you just thought. So I just want to tell audiences too, as much as we want them to really invest uh, in this intentional work, there's a lot of laughs. There are some laugh out loud moments <laughs> in this play um, that I'm still laughing at, seeing it like many, many times. So hopefully there'll be something for everybody. So so actors, um, is this play and the characters you're playing, does it feel familiar? Like, do you see your own people, your family members in any of this work? For sure. Um, I think one of the nice things about doing this piece, as much as a, of a thought piece as it is, it is an opportunity to share some Black joy. And the fact that as a people, we are able to celebrate amongst ourselves, even when the world outside is telling us not to. Um, and those moments are definitely in the show. They're in the characters, the relationships, the bonds, they're real. Um, and I personally think they sort of transpire outside of the show that because they are so well written, the relationships that we as actors have with each other have expanded, which we then bring back to that stage. It's feeding itself. Mm. That's okay, it. Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> <That's sweet. laughs> yeah. Kendall like, gets yeah, yeah, it on my last said. night. Yeah. I, I was just saying, Kendall gets it because I send her all of my late night messages. Like, girl, what you think about? Yeah, with yeah, yeah. We are constantly checking in. That bond is is really important when doing a piece like this. So just make sure as actors that we are all on the same playing field. That we're we feel comfortable coming to each other. Like what Jamie said, reaching out. How did you feel about this? What do you think about that? How can I improve? Like you're just getting information and, uh, yeah, just uh constructive criticism from your peers it's it's always always helpful mm. well y'all don't look old enough to be mother daughter but i'm just gonna but i know how black women go you could be anywhere right. from 20 right. to 80 and <laughs> like how is she i could have had her i could have you people could. might have talked about me but it was possible <laughs> so jenny you know i'm a i'm an august wilson devotee i love love august wilson but the, but these last several years i'm starting to see these young sisters come up as playwrights. I mean, I, I, I saw Suzanne Laurie Parks play the other night. Um, oh yeah. Uh, uh, F and A. I saw F &A, that. Yeah. Uh, Dominique Morrissey. I've seen her plays. Uh, uh, it's a bunch of young sisters. Now I'm, I'm discovering uh, this, this sister, Miss Drury's. Uh, talk about, I, 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 is, is this a moment? And I want actors to answer this too. Is this a moment for Black women playwrights? I mean, listen, we all grew up cutting our teeth. Well, maybe not y'all, but cutting our teeth on Lorraine Hansberry, which is 50 <laughs> some one, years right? ago, right? Three. The one, the one. The one. And now, you know, since then we've had uh, Inzake Shungay and 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 Pearl Cleage and 
and so many countless others that uh, that are, have put out work. But you know, not not the way that I'm seeing these young sisters come through right now. Like there's a whole bunch of young black women playwrights out there, black men playwrights too, but black women playwrights who are really making a mark on on theater. Is is this a good time to be black in theater? I think that's my question. <laughs> always a good time to be black and go ahead Kendall yeah I feel like people should speak to this no I'm I'm just gonna say that um yeah as to your question is this a moment for black playwrights I think this is just an opportunity or that we're just in a really pivotal time where black work is being recognized in the way that it should um it's always been there it's Mm -hmm. always existed it's just having the right eyes on those projects um yeah it's always just always the right time for me so Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, it does feel like there's a yes to that, Kendall, right? Always, but, and, and yeah, it feels like there's momentum now, right? Um, and it, and the, it's like the doors open a crack. So let's just, right, let's just go. Um, and these, these Black female playwrights, um, the powerfulness of these pieces, um, and what needs to be said that has not been said. I think that's too what's really, right? We have, the opportunity hasn't been there. And so now these voices are allowed to be heard, being honored to be heard as they should be, have should have been all along. And so it's a, I think it's a really exciting time. I will be interested to see where theater goes. We are having some growing pains, um, right? We are We are shifting and changing and trying to find our new, our kind of new stasis, which is theater has done that for thousands of years, right? Because we reflect what is happening in the world and what is happening in the world is uncertain, right? And violent and hard and difficult. And the pendulum is swinging back after 2020, right? We know that's what happens. And so I'm interested to see how theater continues to respond to this and evolve, right? To continue in this evolution. That is my hope but I know we're doing it at CCT, so. Oh, I mean, I, th- I think I you are. I mean, listen, to y'all, I didn't know Dominique Marseille's work until y'all brought like eight gazillion of her plays. And now everywhere I turn around, somebody, and I, and I would I would go so far as to say, you know, uh, y'all y'all are probably probably uh, the pre- preeminent experts on Dominique Marseille's work. So everywhere I go now, when I read any paper anywhere across the country, I see her work being, you know, played somewhere. And I thought, wow, you know, uh, I I did not, I was, I had no awareness until collective consciousness brought her to us. And everybody's like, oh yeah, I saw it. I saw that. I mean, that's a, I think that's a real testament to the way that y'all go and look at, look for work. Like you scope the scene uh, where other, other theaters are, are not quite doing, doing that level of death and, intentional we need some black ish and we're gonna go get it and we're gonna bring it i mean that's in that's intentional i mean you could i mean there's lots of plays out there that you could put black people in do you know what i mean like you can reimagine them to be with black people but to go get a black play by a black playwright that's about black people I think that's pretty profound. I think Jenny I don't know I mean talk about the process when y'all think about bringing a play yeah, no, thank you for that, Baz. I appreciate that. Uh, I have to really give most of the credit to my partner, Dexter J. Singleton. Um, you know, he's a Detroit native, 
as well as Dominique and started really Red Detroit 67, which was our first play in our space about eight years ago and read that play, reached out to her before she kind of exploded onto the scene like she is now. So they have a working relationship, which is wonderful. She actually came to that production into our tiny little theater. She came and saw Detroit 67 because it was the East Coast premiere um, of her play. And it was really right before that moment. Um, and I have to give a lot of credit to Dexter that he really stays in touch with what is happening in the scene. And he and I together just read lots of plays. There is no fix. There is no magic pill. It is just <laughs> reading and staying connected in the scene and reading those plays, seeing those plays. Um, and so grateful to have a relationship with Dominique now that she is, I mean, you know, MacArthur Genius Grant Water. I mean, she's just like, yeah, and, and all she'll take her. your calls now, right? Because, yeah. you know, you, you she still take Dexter's calls. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> um, and we're so fortunate to be in that. But that's that's really our process is kind of just keeping our ear out and really trying to find new living playwrights. We're really passionate about new living playwrights, you know, playwrights of color, um, women to really just amplify those voices. And so it's a real collaboration between Dexter and I uh, to find those special plays. Mm. So, so actors, you know, Jamie and Kendo. So when you, when you decide to take on a role, what, what, what do you, what do you decide? Like, are there roles that you won't take? Like you like categorically, I'm not hooker number eight. Categorically, I'm not drug mommy number 20. Do you know what I mean? Or or do you and say, you know what? I can bring some real humanity to this. Like, how do you decide what you will and will not do? Um, you know, it all depends on what's being made available. I took a long time off once I had kids um, and said, I'm not. I'm not going to split my time this way. I wouldn't be able to devote, and this is me personally, not other parents, but I wouldn't be able to devote the energy needed in order to do the show. But my kids are getting older. So um, my step back into acting was over the pandemic. Um, and I was invited to do American Son. And I couldn't, I just, I couldn't ignore that as an opportunity. As for shows that I'm selecting now, no, there's not a role that I automatically say no to um, if I feel like there is a story that needs to be shared. If I can honor that character, if I can bring it to stage and make a difference, I'm on it. And of course, whenever Jenny calls, I'm in. Um, that's just a given because of what you said. It's not just the fact that she's an amazing person. It's that in order for us to elevate these voices, we need to be purposeful in selecting these voices because Black women have been storytellers since the beginning of time. Um, so yes, bring it to the stage. It is past time, right? Um, and since 2020, we've, we're watching these changes happen. We're watching Broadway actively say, okay, not all of Broadway, but a select group saying, we are going to elevate these voices and that's trickling up. That's coming from theaters like this that are saying you should have been doing this all along. So when there's an opportunity like this, I jump and I have been nothing but rewarded for it. I love the show. I love the process. I love the people that I'm working with. My kids, I'm sure they'd like, you know, me to cook once in a while, but they'll still be okay. <laughs> they'll be okay. Yeah, they'll be fine. They're fine. <laughs> got a dad. They're fine, right? It's not neglect watching me do things that make me happy. It's yeah, fine. No, it's Life lesson. Yeah. They'll eat. Yes. <laughs> All right, Miss Kendall. Um. Yeah. 
Uh, plus one to everything Jamie said, and much like her, I took a couple years off from acting as well, and I kind of just got back to acting in 2019. Um, but I've made sure, and I had to really sit down with myself and decide what kind of work I want to do as an actor. Um, and I've always been drawn to the work that collective consciousness uh, theater does because it creates conversation. I have never entered that space one way and left the same. I've always been changed. I've always left thinking about something or thinking about myself or how I perceive things or how I interact with a group of people. Um, and I realized I want to make other people feel that way. Um, so I've always been really intentional about uh, what kind of work I do. So no, I don't just take any role. Um, kind of like what Jamie said, if it's not moving, the character is not moving, um, the story is not moving, I don't really go for it. Um, I'm all for people being entertained, but um, life is real. Um, and I really believe in the power of theater and how theater is the imitation of life. And theater exposes a lot of the things that we experience in our day-to-day -day lives. And it forces people to sit in their mess without having to interrupt and you are, you have to sit there for that hour for that you know that ninety minutes and and look at yourself and listen to these actors talk um, and you have to leave sometimes you know in your car and think about what you just saw um, so yeah I just I want to do that kind of work I want to do that work that that forces you that really embeds you and plants seeds and and yeah just creates and sparks conversation so. Mm. So Jenny, this is this is the uh this place kicking off the news this season, right? How yeah. Plays do y'all do a season two, three, eight? Uh, typically two, <laughs> three. Uh, you know, sometimes two in a workshop. So I know we just, you know, we just worked with the amazing Terrence Reagans. Uh, on yes, I'm sorry I missed play. that. That's, no, that's, it'll, I'm sure it's coming back back around. Oh, I hope so because it was so to, many competing things that that I know that weekend days. was busy. Like, We're so lucky in New Haven, right? Like there's so yes. much, so much art and like, culture. I wanted it to be next door to where I was so I could just run out and go in, but it was like way across the town. I, like, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, but you know, working with him on his beautiful, exquisite solo piece. Um, and you know, so that's a, in a way too, when we do these workshops and we're helping new playwrights kind of develop their work, we're really passionate about that. And then also, you know, producing full play. So this will be uh, our full production for right now in the fall. And then we'll come back in the winter, spring in 2024, uh, play, uh, to be determined. So stay tuned. Oh, I thought I was going to get like some, <laughs> going to get know. the scoop. Yeah, as soon as, as we know, you'll know. So you no, know, you know, I'm always whining to you about what I want. Right, I need a good romance, a love story, a love story without like drama. Yeah, but a little bit of drama because you know story. you got to have some tension. But you know, I don't want to. You and I, are... I don't want struggle. Love, I want real excitable. <laughs> yes. love story. Yes, man, I know Jenny's like you, you need to write we'll that. Then, yeah, we'll find it. We'll, <laughs> we'll find, find it. it. We'll find yeah. it. So, all right. So, so when does this? When does the? When is the uh, opening night? When is it? How long is the run? Tell me the dates. Yeah, so we actually previews begin this Thursday, uh, November 2nd. Oh my um, gosh. Yes, it's all happening. Uh, and we run through the 19th, right? So our okay. typical weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 8 p.m. And then our last show um, by popular demand will be a matinee. So our last show on the 19th will be a 3 p.m. Um, to close out the show. So kind of right I before like we go into the 
the Thanksgiving holiday. And you can get your tickets on collectiveconsciousnesstheater.org. And every Thursday is pay what you can. We really want to open the doors wide and make theater accessible for everyone. So you can come for free or you can pay, give us a million dollars or anywhere in between. <laughs> uh, but we want to create that access for everyone to enjoy theater. So cheapest ticket in town, 25 for adult, 15 for student. Um, we just we just want everybody to be able to have this conversation with us. And, and tell us about because you because listen, this uh, your plays are amazing. You do so much in that space, but you have a really great ground team, a team that does the lights and the uh, the hammering and all the stuff. Talk a little <laughs> bit about those folks. Yeah, and, and this group we've been so lucky to see them. They pop in, you know, they're just like right after we're done, they just come in and they're just doing this amazing work behind the scenes. And we come back and it's like this transformation has happened. Um, so continuing to work with the amazing Jamie Burnett on our lights and set, um, and, and David Sepulveda, who we have already talked about best in best in the biz. I mean, we're so so the best hair. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I know you always say best hair. Oh <laughs> uh, yes. And Carol Cambaras, who's our amazing costume designer, um, our stage management team, Ashley Sweet and Molly Flanagan, who's also doing all of our marketing. Um, and we just we just have this tremendous team of people working with us that stay with us, which makes us really happy that people want to continue to work with us. Um, and continue to support the mission. And really, it's it's absolutely the collaborative, uh, the collective consciousness that brings us all together and makes it mm. what it is. So we're so grateful to continue those partnerships and to start new partnerships with new actors in our cast. We have new people helping backstage. So always looking to continue to open the doors to anyone that wants to work with us that has a passion for social justice. I love it. So if anybody out there is listening, and people are, if you've never gone to Collective Consciousness, and y'all are still over at Erector Square. Yes, we are. Right, your theater's there. Um, that if you've not come to theater, this is this is amazing theater. It's intimate, and it's so well done. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so well done, and, and such a care for the set, for the quality of the actors. I mean, y'all think of everything when you put on this production. Thank you. Yeah, we really want to do, like Kendall's saying, we want to honor the piece. And if we can't honor it and do right by it, we shouldn't be doing it. So we really I, I, want listen. to make the art. And New Haven deserves it. I agree. So, yeah. uh, Kendall, Jamie, last words you want to say about this play, about inviting people to come? Um, I'm just going to say you need to see it. You need to see it to understand it. And I'm going to second Kendall's buy your tickets for two nights, because trust me, you will finish the first one and go home saying, wait a minute, what? And need to see it a second time. Yes. Agreed. All right, Ms. Kendall. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, this is possibly a life-changing play. It's changed oh. me. I'll yeah, see. it's changed mine. I can easily say that. Um, but also... Just, I would like to thank Jenny and the Collective Consciousness team. You guys are amazing. Um, I hope you guys continue to do what you do. Don't forget about me. I love you guys. It's honestly been a pleasure. And to go back to what Jenny was saying, it's it's rare when you find a space where everyone is on the same page. I mean, from the director to the janitor, you know? Um, and it's so refreshing. I had uh, Jamie came up to me yesterday and we hugged so tight um, after the end of our run. 
Um, and he was just so filled with gratitude over what he saw. Um, and just knowing that, okay, like, yeah, this is reaching everybody. This is not just, you know, for Jenny or, you know, for our stage management, but it's literally touching everybody. Um, so yeah, just to work in that space, it's just so, uh, it's refreshing. So thank you, Jenny and Dexter for the work that you're doing. Thank you. That is very kind, Kendall. Thank you both for being a part of this and all of our wonderful team for continuing to um, support the mission of CCT and just a big, you know, big thanks to Dexter Singleton who started it all. Hey, Dexter. Hey, Dexter. <laughs> I'm enjoying seeing you, Jenny. Thank you for uh, uh, acquiescing to my request to come on because, you know, I'm a, such a fan of collective consciousness and my, my good girlfriend, Ife, is on the board and I think wow. I have some other friends on that board. You do. Um, you have a lot of friends on our board. <laughs> yes, you do. So, we have uh, an amazing board and we are we always love to have this conversation. I cannot wait to hear what you think of the show. Oh, I can't wait. You know, I'll talk about it, girl. You know, I'll oh, I know you will. Be like, Ooh. <laughs> I was like, but I, I, everything I've seen so far that y'all have done, uh, uh, it has been thought provoking. And that's what theater is for. It's that's You right. should feel something. And you don't have to, everybody thinks you should go to theater and just love everything. No, you don't have to love everything, but you do have to have a thought or a feeling about it. And whether you hate it or love it, that's a feeling. And you can say, you know what? This is what I liked about it. This is what I didn't like about it. But it's a conversation. I think Jamie and Kendall, you all are absolutely right. To incite conversation is is really good theater. So so thank you, Jenny Nelson. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Miss Driffin. It's lovely to see you. And uh, I hope I see you out here in these art streets, which I will. But I'll definitely see you in the theater. So I'll be there. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. All right. Enjoy the rest of this week. Yeah. Here we go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Harry Droves. I'll be back tomorrow at nine, nine at nine-ish. And uh, we'll get into another conversation with some more fabulous people. So y'all have a good day and a good week. I'll see y'all soon. <laughs>